this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 67. And this was an easy pick for me. Chris asked if there were any passages that I would like to preach on, and this immediately came to mind. It's a beautiful little song, and we're going to look at that um, this morning. Let me go ahead and read that. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let me say a brief word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning that we can gather together and open your word together. I just pray that by your spirit, Lord, that you would meet us, that you would meet each person here. Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, give me clarity. Give me your heart, Lord, as I speak, um, that my words would be helpful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at the opening lines of of this passage, um, the the thought that initially comes to me is this is something of a wish list that the psalmist is bringing. You know, this is the time um, when children, particularly if you have young children there, it's all about the wish list, what they want for Christmas. Relatives are asking, what do your kids want for Christmas? And, 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 and when I look at this passage, um, it's very clear that the psalmist is unashamedly coming to God and he's saying, God, this is what I want. This is what we want. And he specifically mentions at the very beginning three things. First of all, that God would be gracious. That God would be gracious. And this is the most appropriate place to come before God because we're asking, he's asking for grace. He's asking for mercy. Charles Spurgeon has a great line. He says um, about this passage, he said, It begins with a cry for mercy. Forgiveness of sin is always the first link in the chain of mercies experienced by us. Mercy is a foundational attribute in our salvation, and the best saints and the worst sinners may unite in this um, petition. A cry for grace. God, be gracious to us. Lord, we need your mercy. And whether you are conscious of your need this morning for God's mercy or less conscious, we're equally in need of God's grace, God's mercy to approach his throne. And really, there's no way that we could approach him and lay out our desires before him without God first addressing our sin, which separates us from him, which we know he has done in Jesus Christ. So there's a cry for grace. Secondly, that God would bless. And here I think he's directly referencing um, the, the passage where God actually speaks to Abraham. And God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out blessing upon you. And then he says, and through you, I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth. God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a conduit of blessing. And that's essentially what 
I believe the psalmist is referring to here, where he says, um, where he asks for God's blessing. And I think that could be understood in, in many ways. I mean, uh, it could be in terms of God's blessing of strength, of health, of peace, of safety. Um, and God promised um, Abraham that his descendants would ultimately be heirs of this promise, that they would receive the ultimate fulfillment of all those things. All those things would be theirs the end of time. But the writer is not only satisfied with asking for grace and God's blessing. He's not just asking for gifts from God. He's asking for God himself. He says that God would shine his face upon us. It's so easy, I think, for us, even in the way we pray and in the way we approach God to come to him with our requests, with our petitions, with our needs, right? We need this. We need that. We need help at work. We need help at school. We need help at home. We need, we need, and actually we can honor him by bringing those needs to him. But at the end of the day, isn't it ultimately God himself that we need? And the psalmist recognized that. And, and, and by, by crying out and asking God that God would shine his face, he's, he's really saying, God, I want to feel your presence. I want to feel, I want to know you. I want to know that you have not just forgiven my sins, but I want to know that you have affection for me, that you're near me, that you're close to me. You know, it's on those, those cloudy days in Cleveland that when there's just no sunlight that I start dreaming about moving south. And I'm like, Lord, why, why am I still here? You know, especially in March, it starts really hitting me in March. Why do we do this to ourselves, you know? And, of course, we all know that there are amazing things about Cleveland and there are amazing reasons to be here, but um, the weather is probably not one of them. And, and yet, it's, I don't know if it affects you the same way it affects me, but there are those days when the sun breaks through, or even this morning when I walked outside and I felt the sun upon my face. It was like, yes. This something feels right. Something feels better in the world today. And in a much even greater sense to know that God is shining his light of affection, of approval, of blessing upon our lives. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we long for? And the psalmist recognizes that. But the psalm, we could stop there. And in fact, when I was young, my parents, um, my parents loved the Lord. And they also loved the Von Trapp family singers. And... So they came up with this almost like in their own version of the Von Putnam family singers. And so there were five of us, and they would teach us music and songs, and we would learn different rounds and everything. And then they would march us next door to the nursing home, and we would sing for all the elderly that were in the nursing home. And... um at the time, I didn't really appreciate it. Now that I look back, I'm like, wow, they were really seeking to instill something in us in those moments. And what a, what a blessing that was. But at the time, we weren't real thrilled about it. But there was one song that we sang, which was um, this song, May the Lord Bless You and Keep You, May the Lord Shine His Face Upon You, which is not only, I want to mention, not only um, in this passage, but is in number six. And the, and the writer is actually quoting from a priestly prayer um, in number six. 
But so the song, we sang the whole song, and then it was followed by the sevenfold amen, where you like sing amen, 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 seven times. I don't know if you've heard it. Um, God, one person here has heard it. So we would sing that, and that was the end of the song. Okay? But what's interesting here is that that is not the end of this passage. In fact, the writer recognizes that this blessing, just like the blessing that was poured on Abraham, was not intended to stop with us. It was intended to flow through us. We are but the conduits of God's blessing, that we encounter God's blessing. We encounter his mercy, his kindness, his gentleness, his patience, all of who God is. And yet these things flow through us to others. And he recognized that. And so he says, he continues, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So there are two things that he really points out there. He mentions, he mentions that your way may be known on earth. God's guidance. I was listening this week to um, NPR News, and um, there was... A number of different programs were talking about um, AI and 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 the growth of technology and how they're programming robots to <laughs> to actually um, you know speak and dialogue and there were there were examples of people kind of opening up to a dialogue a, a, a robot and just sharing their heart and then feeling some type of response from that robot. And, and really feeling like a connection had been made. And then something, a, gl- a glitch would happen and the robot would snap out of it and just start mumbling other things. And they would be like, wow, okay, it's not real, not a person. Um, but it was interesting. One of the questions they had was, you know, what is this kind of technology going to be used for? And are we headed in the right direction? And I think one of the discoveries that that people have made, and, and even with, the, if, if you were... Um, listening to the news on the gene editing and how the, the Chinese um, scientist was able to go in and edit some genes, human genes of, of unborn children. And there, I think there's this sense of this could be used for good or this could be used for unspeakable evil. And I think our society and our world is at a level where we're like, okay, we're making all of these advancements technologically, but are we really advancing? And in this passage, I think we are reminded that it's only in the Lord's way, in God's way, that there's true life, that there's true peace, that there's true blessing upon humanity in God's way. Technology will not give us those things. And, um, and so we see that um, no matter what type of political advancements, what type of technological advancements, what types of treaties are formed um, internationally, um, what types of tariffs, tariffs are applied or removed, we're not going to have what humanity ultimately longs for apart from knowing the way, the path of God. And then secondly, he says, he says that your saving power would be known among all nations. Your saving power, your deliverance, your rescue. And if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we need to be rescued. There was, I, I heard a at one point, a, 
uh, an opportunity to write an essay in the paper of what's wrong with the world. And a Christian scholar wrote in a two-word response. I am. I am. And if we're each honest, the problem is not always out there. It's not always with the system, with the government, with the education, with the... The problem is each one of us. We need rescue, and God has provided that for us through his son. So the psalmist is crying, be gracious to us, bless us, make your face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth. And the, the picture that came to me of, um, of the, for this was of a prism. I don't know if any of you um, had those when you were young. I don't even know if they... they market those to children. I haven't even seen them for a long time. But a prism was this thing where it could you could hang it in your window and the light would hit it and then the light would refract and go to the rainbows would be just splashed on all of your walls. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so so man, I like you man. You're awesome. You've heard the sevenfold Amen and the Prism. That's awesome. So, yeah, this prism, and there's, there's this sense of the light is focused on the prism. The light hits the prism, and the light is refracted. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage as the, the blessing of God, the salvation of God, hits his people. It is, the intention is that it is refracted. It's refracted, and it it hits the ends of the earth. Every people on earth comes to see and to know the ways of God and the saving powers of God. So may God be gracious to us, bless us, shine his face upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Spurgeon says, As showers which first fall upon the hills afterward run down in streams into the valleys, so the blessing of the Most High comes upon the world through the church. We are blessed for the sake of others as well as ourselves. And another theologian, Derek Kidner, writes, The first overflow from Israel's own blessing will be the spread of life-giving knowledge, a hope wonderfully fulfilled in the writings of the Scripture, whose twofold work of imparting truth and salvation is seen throughout Scripture. So it's this life-giving knowledge and hope that we receive that then we can share in, with the nations. Um, as we continue through this passage, he says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. These are the people that have encountered the goodness and the character of God. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. As the nations encounter the truth, as the nations encounter the saving power of God, it's a song of praise that rises forth. One, one man has said, it's only in the church that the song of the forgiven rises. Only in the church. In every other religion, there is a song. The song that rises is a, is a plea, is a is a. A, a cry perhaps for grace to satisfy the wrath of the gods with barely a hope of forgiveness. 
But it's in the church that the song of the forgiven, those who know they have been forgiven, rises to heaven. And this is the song that the nations will sing, that the nations will be glad. I think of, you know, in some countries of the world, protests are not unusual, and we, we hear about them happening. But what we don't often recognize is that in a lot of contexts, people are paid to protest. They're paid. And, and so, you know, there'll be, you know, in various countries, maybe in Iran or in Russia or other contexts, it's like in Russia at times they've just said, okay, if you're a government worker, go out and protest. <laughs> you know, go out and protest in favor of or show your support for this regime or that regime or this agenda. And they're paid to do it. And yet what you see here is not um, a people or a nations or peoples that are that are somehow manipulated into singing, manipulated into showing their support. This is a song that rises from their hearts to God. Spurgeon says, some sing for form, others for show, some for, um, as a duty, others as amusement, but to sing from the heart because overflowing joy must find a vent. This is a sing indeed. A song indeed. Whole nations will do this when Jesus reigns over them in the power of his grace. And so um, it's that picture of joy that must find a vent. Joy that must find an outlet. And this is the response of the nations as they encounter God. And what do they encounter about God? They encounter um, what it says there is um, his equity. They encounter a God of justice, of fairness, a God who applies justice impartially. Um, and, and, and this is, um, I think as I was wrestling through this passage, I was thinking about this. So this is a psalmist writing a thousand years before Christ, and he's talking about the justice of God and how God dealt with Israel justly. But how would this be experienced and felt in the nations? I think in a lot of ways, there's this sense of God's sovereignty. We know God is sovereignly in control of all things. But have we really experienced justice? God's the justice of God here and now. Think about that for a minute. Have we really experienced God's justice? I was watching the news the other day, and I watched a documentary actually on Yemen and what is happening in Yemen. What they're calling the worst humanitarian crisis in the world right now is happening in Yemen. And they're being bombed. There's, there are the Houthi rebels that have um, moved in and taken the capital city and are controlling the country. And they're Shia and aligned with um, Iran, at least supposedly. And the, the Sunni governments of Saudi Arabia and the UAE are will not stand for, for that, having such a close neighbor who is allied with Iran. And so they've been on this bo- these bombing campaigns for over, I mean, I don't know if, it, I think it's maybe two years now. They've been continuing these bombing campaigns. And Yemen was already the poorest country in the Middle East. So the poorest country has been, is now being bombed for two years and the entire infrastructure has collapsed. And 
what was what was so heartbreaking is to see these mothers sometimes walking two hours to take their children who were literally just skin hanging on bones to these aid workers and saying, please, can you do anything for my child? It's heartbreaking. And we cry out and we say, where is the justice of God? How is it that the psalmist can say, yes, the nations, they're going to sing for glad because of the justice of God. When things like that are happening, and that's not unique, they're, happen they're happening all over the world. There are, there are backroom deals. There are corrupt governments. There are oligarchs and controlling um, economies and manipulating things that paying off judges. I mean, where, where is the justice? My wife lived in Mexico for a while, and um, in the city where she was working, um, there was a point at which they were robbed. And their first impulse was to call the police. And their neighbor said, don't do it. Don't do it. Because if the police come, they will take whatever is left in your apartment and just claim that the, in, the, in the course of their inspection, they will take anything of value and then claim that it, was, you know, it had been stolen by a thief. That's corruption. So where is the justice of God? And what we see in the pages of Scripture, we get a glimpse of one through whom the justice of God is going to come. We see the first glimpse of it is as a serpent crusher. God promises Satan that from the woman will come one who um, you will bruise his heel. He will crush your head, which is a deadly blow. We hear of a descendant of Abraham through whom God will bless the peoples of the world. We learn that there will be one from the line of Judah who will sit on the throne forever. More specifically, David, if you remember, David goes to God and he says, God, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a place of worship. And God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. And he says, I'm going to establish one on your throne, one of your descendants on the throne forever. And then we get Daniel, the prophet Daniel, right? Who he has this glimpse of one like the son of man to whom all the peoples of the earth will come and will bow and pay homage and honor. And then Isaiah spoke these lines for to us, a child is born speaking into the future to us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then about 400 years later, so you didn't think this was a Christmas sermon, but it's becoming one, right? 400 years later, in a little town called Nazareth, a teenage girl is visited by the angel Gabriel, who quotes from these passages and says, your son will sit on the throne of David. This child whom you 
will, will hold in your arms is the one that all the prophets have spoken of. The angels then appear to the shepherds shortly thereafter. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord, who will be a source of joy for all people. You see, David had some concept, the writer of this passage had some concept of God's justice over all things, and especially of God's justice as experienced by Israel. But it would only be through Christ that God's authority and God's justice breaks in to our world and ultimately would be inaugurated in his resurrection, right? Where he defeats sin, the power of sin and death. And he goes and he says, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all people. Carry this message, right? Of God's ways, of God's saving power to all people. And in in Matthew 24, he says, And when that good news has reached all the peoples of the earth, the end will come. He will return again to inflict the wrath of God upon evildoers and the mercy and grace and blessing of God upon all those who are his. That is what we look forward to as the pinnacle of the expression of God's justice and of God's graciousness. We look forward to that day when Jesus himself will return again. I remember speaking with a Chinese student a number of years ago, and um, many of our friends here could speak specifically to this um, more than I can, but he was essentially raised in a very atheistic context where there was no mention of God. Um, in the curriculum, and uh, even within his family. In fact, um, Young uh, told me that the, the first time she heard the word God was in Jurassic Park. When the dinosaur sneezes and the boy says, God bless you. And she said, how old were you? Pretty young. She said, who's God? Who is God? And that was just a seed when I think the Holy Spirit was already at work in her heart, bringing questions to her to mind. Who is God? Who is this? And it wouldn't be till years later that she would encounter and discover who is God. But another student, he told me, I've been raised with this all my life, but I looked at the government. And all my life I had been told that right and wrong, the morals of a society were determined kind of essentially by the government, by that community, by that establishment, right? That they determined what's right and wrong. But he said, I saw corruption. And I started asking myself, is there a higher power that will hold the governments of the world accountable? And that was the window for him into beginning to discover the reality of a God who is greater, who is more powerful, and who will 
in the person of Jesus return to judge the nations of the earth. In closing, I want to I ask you, what is your response to this king? What is your response to the reality that God is judge? You know, when Jesus was born, when there was news and reports of a king being born, not everybody was happy. Think of, think of Herod. Herod was terrified. Herod was irked. He was bothered. He immediately began strategizing how he could eliminate this threat to his own authority. That's one response. The other response is what we see in this passage. Praise. Gladness. Singing. Joy. For the one who is being born into the world who would establish God's justice here on earth. And I want to ask you, what is your response? Are you uncomfortable with the idea of another authority in your life? Because if there's an authority, another authority, it means that you're not the one who ultimately can determine what's right or wrong. That you're not the one who can determine the, ultimately the path and direction of your life. That there's a greater authority. That God himself in the person of Jesus, has authority. How do you feel about that? A feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can learn from our, we can. Yes, yes, I hear you. He does allow us to make mistakes. He does, absolutely. God allows us to make mistakes. And I think, I think the beauty of that is there are two ways that we can live. We can either seek to submit ourselves to his leading and guidance. And the, big, the greatest way that he's given us his guidance is through his word. That's how we know God's desires for our life is through his word. And he's also given his, us his spirit who allows us to understand his word and, to, and gives us power to help live it out, to be obedient to him. Or we can choose to neglect what God has spoken to us and to live our own way, to try to make our own decisions, to set out on our own path. And that's typically, at least in my life, where I make the mistakes. That's my application to you. If, if, you're, if you're wrestling with that, you know, this two ways to live, if you're finding yourself on a path of destruction, I want to appeal to you to, to not continue down this path, but to submit yourself to what God has revealed to us, to the king who was... Jesus, who was born 2,000 years ago, ascended to heaven and is returning again. Submit and surrender your life to him to receive his mercy and grace. And, and you will find yourself on a very different path, a path that leads to life, a path that leads to the joy and the presence of God. Secondly, I think this is where many of us, many of us on the Christian journey 
we end at, at the first verse of this passage. May God be gracious to me. May he bless me. May he shine his face upon me. Amen. And we walk out of church and we go home and we go about our lives. And there's nothing about others in that. There's nothing about the peoples of the earth who have not yet heard of the good news. One man that I, that I really respect, he said, it's almost as if there has to be a second conversion. Okay. I'm, I'm not, this is not heretical because I'm not saying that there is a second conversion, but on an experiential level, there as, as dramatic as conversion would be when we step from darkness into the light of God's presence in Jesus Christ. Almost as dramatic is this realization that the gospel is not just for us, but that we are mere conduits of God's blessing and grace and this good news to share with others. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth, it's for the earth. It's for all the peoples. It's for, it's for native Clevelanders and it's for the Chinese. And it's for the peoples of northern India and the peoples of Saudi Arabia and the peoples of Yemen. And it's news. It's news that needs to be carried, that needs to be spoken, that needs to be shared. And I want to encourage you to speak this news to others to find someone that you can share this good news with. And I would, I would actually suggest that it is selfish, incredibly self-centered, narcissistic, and selfish when we choose not to because we are denying them the gladness and the joy that they will encounter in the presence of God. Let's be a people that shares. And if you, if you, um, I'm, I'm sure that there are many ways that you can do this. It could be a simply saying, Lord, give me one person at work that I can share of your blessing to in Christ. One person at work that I can share about the true meaning of Christmas. One person at school. One person that I encountered today. And I'll tell you that we are launching a, a, a what we're calling a, um, friendship partner program where we will connect you with a student from Cleveland State who has a desire to spend time with Americans and a desire to spend time with you. And if you're willing, we're asking people just make a commitment to try to connect with the student once a month. That's once a month of grabbing a meal together, playing ping pong together, going to a game together, a movie together, having coffee together. And we would love to connect you with them because there may be those who have never heard of this good news. And maybe it's just in the context of your friendship that they will encounter the risen king. But let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for each person gathered here. I pray that as we ref have reflected on this passage, Lord, that, that you would use it in their life for good. Lord, and I, I, with the psalmist, just want to pray 
Lord, would you be gracious to us? Lord, would the people here experience your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy as they repent and turn from their sins, Lord? Would they experience your blessing? Would they experience the light of your presence in their lives, Lord, this week? Lord, and we pray this not just for ourselves. We pray this that your way, your saving power, Lord, would be known in this community, Lord, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray that there would be gladness and there would be singing, that there would be joy as we reflect upon the day that one day Christ will return and establish the justice of God upon this earth. Every wrong will be made right. Every sin and rebellion will be punished and grace will be made known and available, Lord, to all those who have found refuge in Jesus, our sacrifice. Lord, would the peoples of the world praise you, O God? That's our desire, that you would receive all of the credit, all of the honor, all of the glory. Would they praise you? Lord, would you bless us that the ends of the earth would fear you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.